We're going to continue in our series in the book of Acts. And uh, we have reached uh, Acts 18, 18 to 28. And today I'm going to talk to you about uh, maintaining orthodoxy. Now I'm going to do something a little weird here today, uh, a little unorthodox, dare I say. And I think I'm just going to do it, I think I'm just going to do it with the middle section here. Lucky that you picked the middle section. All right. Um, all I'm going to do is I'm going to whisper something in Evelyn's ear. Not sweet nothings. I'm going to whisper something in Evelyn's ear, and she's going to whisper it into um, her neighbor here. It's an old agey thing. I don't do all that. Anyway, um, I'm really nervous about this, as you can tell. Uh, so everyone's going to whisper in Denal, and Denal is going to whisper in Kathy's here, and then Kathy's going to whisper in Jess here, and try to keep it nice. But no, you're just going to keep repeating what I'm whispering in Evelyn's ear, okay? And when we get to the end of it, it's, hey, it's, it's, it's going to be Ariel. Hey, Ariel. And you're just going to tell me what, what happened with what I did. <laughs> ready? So, uh, the word orthodox and orthodoxy is a little strange. It probably conjures up pictures or thoughts or images like this, you know, these uh, dark cathedrals and the incense and candles and stuff like that. And that's because many people, you guys got to just, you know, just kind of keep it together a little bit. All right, so... Um, it conjures up uh, these types of images. The problem is that um, it's misunderstood, this term orthodoxy, and I want us to get to the heart of it. Part of the misleading part is that some of the denominations that are out there use the word orthodox right in their identity, their, their titles, right? So there's the Russian Orthodox, and the, the Syrian Orthodox, and the Greek, Greek Orthodox. But this is what orthodox is literally translated as. This is what Orthodox is literally translated as. Right belief. Right belief. Orthodox is right or correct belief. <coughs> and Orthodoxy is authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine, or practice. Authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine, or practice. We know that in the culture in which we live, orthodoxy has no place. I'll say that again. In the culture in which we live, 
orthodoxy has no place. We don't believe in orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is politically incorrect. Orthodoxy is on the outs. We find it downright offensive, orthodoxy, anymore. Right belief. Because we live in what is called a postmodern world. You've heard that term, postmodern. Quite often, we get mixed up. We, we talk about our ages, you know, we're living in the modern age. But actually, if you're looking at a timeline of ages, you know how they do that, the, the prehistoric age and the paleotonic age and all that stuff. All those ages, the modern age is gone. We are in a postmodern age. That's what we're living in. The postmodern age. This is, this is the crux. This is one of the key characteristics. One of the key characteristics of the postmodern age is this. There is no absolute truth. That's what postmodernism is all about. It's one of the key theories, is that there is no absolute truth. Postmodernists believe that the notion of truth is a contrived illusion, misused by people and special interest groups to gain power over others. So truth is just something that people manipulate other people with. That's what truth is in the postmodern age. And everybody can have their own truth. Deborah, you can have your own truth. You know what? And who am I to judge? If you believe that, that's awesome. Get on Right? And I can have my own truth. Right? Everybody can have their own truth, and nobody judges anybody. Everything is relative. Everything is okay in the postmodern world. As long as we're not sort of trying to convince others of the truth. As long as we're not trying to convince others of our truth, it's all good. So you can see, and I know it's come back to Ariel now. Ariel, don't cheat. <laughs> Just a second. Hang in there. But as you can see, orthodoxy, right belief, or an agreed-upon truth just does not mix with our world, our postmodern world, where there is no absolute truth. Okay, Ariel, whisper in my ear. All right. Ariel has said the Red Sox and something about a red fox jumping over a fence. <laughs> A red fox and something about something jumping over a fence. Okay, so this is actually what I this is what's that? Red socks. Red socks. Yeah, red socks. Forgot that part. This is what I actually told Evelyn. The quick brown no, the quick red fox jumps over the lazy dog and says hello to the cat. <laughs> You see what happens when we, we don't hold to a truth, when we don't make sure 
that the translation of truth is consistent, it gets all out of whack, right? And in our world right now, we're getting out of whack. There is no absolute truth. Here we go. We believe in absolute truth. That's why we're at odds with the postmodern world. Because we have certain beliefs that are not open for debate, that are not subject to interpretation, that are truth. That we find from this. But let me show you what happens with truth. Kind of like what happened in the middle section here. <laughs> that was pretty bad, guys. <laughs> but brilliant for the point. Brilliant. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I, I like Christ. Actually, I think Christ was awesome. But I don't like Christianity. Right? Actually, Gandhi said something pretty much like that. He said, I love your, I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. You see, I call it Jesus light. Jesus light. We, we take what we like about Jesus, and, and this is what our world is doing today. Because, I mean, not many people would say they, didn't like, they don't like Jesus. Actually, most people would say, wow, Christ was a really awesome guy. Okay? But they, they take that, but they wash out or take out the stuff that Jesus said. That is sort of, oh, that's a little, mm, that's a little harsh. That's a little uh, hard to hear. That's sort of not very politically correct right now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't talk about that. But I like Jesus. Oh, I just love the way he was so kind to people. And I love the way he, you know, he came to serve people. And I, I love this. This is Jesus' light. You see, we can take the grace of Jesus and take out the judgment of Jesus. <laughs> you know? Oh, I love him. He was so gracious and he was so kind. But he's also very much judgmental. <laughs> we can take the inclusion of Jesus. Oh, he was so inclusive. And separate the fact that he was exclusive. Do you want to hear something that there's no, I mean, this is, this is exclusive. If there ever was exclusive, this is what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's exclusive. That, that is saying, I know there's all that other stuff, but it's rubbish. I'm the way. I am the truth. And no one comes to God but through me. Oh, he didn't say that. He wouldn't say something like that. He was inclusive. He was so loving and gracious. You see... We cherry-pick what we want our Jesus to be like. As a matter of fact, it's, it's really idolatry. 
And we're the idol. Because we are God, and we shape Christ into how we want Christ to be. I want Jesus to be this, and this is how he will be. But the fact of the matter is we end up ignoring this, which is the absolute truth. And in there, Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, the life, and that nobody would come to the Father but through him. He was exclusive. So I want you to keep this in mind as we read Acts 18, 18 to 28. I put the words up here because it's just a short exit. Paul is on his second missionary journey and he stayed in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow he had taken. Okay, we've talked about this before. This is Paul being all things to all people to save some. Okay? So don't get hung up on the fact that he's doing something that is prescribed by the Jewish law, which he didn't feel bound by. Remember what he does that stuff for? He does that stuff because... He will, he will humble himself and he will do what it takes so that people will come to know Jesus Christ. And if it means taking a vow and, and cutting off his hair, he'll do it. So uh, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Okay, so now let's go back. Let's go back to Ephesus. We know that Paul has moved on from Ephesus. He left uh, Priscilla and Aquila there. And so let's go back to Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila are. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more, ad more adequately. Thank you. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was of great help to those by grace, uh, by, who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, providing... Uh, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, of course, I want to take a look at those two verses that popped off the page at you while we were reading it. He had, verse 25 and 26, he had instructed, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Apollos is the guy everybody wants on their team. 
He's educated. He's eloquent. He's engaging. He's just the kind of guy you think, oh, if we could just get that guy to go to our church, it'd be awesome. He was from Alexandria in Egypt. He was a Jew who lived in Alexandria. And Alexandria was sort of like a hotbed for religious thought and study. So he was obviously affected by that. He was devout. He had been baptized by John the Baptist. So he, he believed that he needed to humble himself and repent of his sins. And his giving of the truths about Jesus were accurate. He taught about Jesus accurately. So what's wrong with this guy? There's a problem. It says he was baptized. He only knew the baptism of John. That's a problem. You see, He didn't know what Jesus had come for. I suppose he taught about Jesus' wonderful teaching. But he didn't know what Jesus had actually come from. The crux of it. The gospel. He didn't know the gospel. He didn't know that Jesus, he probably knew he was, he died. He may have even known that he, or at least people were saying he were, was resurrected from the dead. But he didn't know what that meant. He didn't know that Jesus died because humanity was sinful and needed a savior. And through his death and resurrection, we could be reunited with Christ. He didn't understand the basic gospel of Jesus Christ, that if you put your faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross, you will be saved. He didn't know that. So what do you do with a guy like that? Well, here's Priscilla and Aquila. We found out last week they were tent makers. They weren't from Alexandria. They weren't standing up in synagogues being persuasive. They weren't, you know, considered brilliant. But Priscilla and Aquila were concerned about orthodoxy. <laughs> they were concerned about orthodoxy. They were concerned about right belief. They were concerned that Jesus Christ be fully understood. And they had a burden for Apollos. That burden that they had for Apollos was that he hadn't been baptized into Jesus Christ. Because we know that when somebody understands the truth of Jesus Christ and they accept it, they become baptized or go get baptized in Jesus Christ. And we know that as soon as they accept the truth of Jesus Christ, what happens to them? 
They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, Apollos was persuasive. Apollos was brilliant. He was engaging. He was, everybody wants this guy on their team. But he didn't have the power of Jesus Christ in his message. And so here's this husband and wife team, humble helpers, servant what did they do? They stood up in the synagogue and they said, Apollos, you are wrong! You're a heretic! <laughs> no, they didn't. They said, hey, let's, let's eat together. And then they said, you don't understand <laughs> the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you. Let us tell you why Jesus came. <clears throat> what he accomplished for you. Isn't that incredible? That they had the courage to do that? And they did it so graciously. They were so wise. And clearly, Apollos accepted it. And that speaks to why you want Apollos on your team too. The dude was teachable. <laughs> Right? He didn't let all this educated in Alexandria and his, you know, obviously God-given skills blind him to the fact that he was on a journey of growth and development and somebody came along and said, hey, you're not orthodox. You don't understand the full story. You don't get it all. And he was open and willing. Clearly, I believe, and it's not in the text, he was, he was baptized into Jesus, into, uh, into Jesus Christ after his dinner. And I know for sure that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now when he spoke, it wasn't just eloquence, it wasn't just brilliance, it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he spoke with. The same conviction and power that can fill somebody who isn't eloquent, who, who isn't brilliant, and who isn't educated. And it can have the power to change lives. Right? The continuation of the truth in our culture, I don't think there's ever been probably an age in which the need for orthodoxy is more profound than now. We live in a pluralistic world. We live in a, a global environment. Ideas, so many variations of ideas that are out there. And there's this underlying issue of postmodern thought which says, everything should be accepted as the same. We need to be orthodox, folks. <laughs> we need to know what Scripture teaches, what we believe, and we need to be able to stand up for truth like Priscilla and Aquila did. 
The continuation of the truth depends on our commitment to guard the truth. I love what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. Timothy's his, little, his protege, a young guy who worked with Paul, and, and, then, and then he was uh, pastoring and sort of heading up. And he, had, he got a lot of pushback because he was a young buck, and, 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 and Paul just kind of took him along and under his wing and, and kept talking to him. And look at the instruction that he gives in 1 Timothy 6, 20-21. Timothy, as he writes to him in 1 Timothy, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Now, that's not like, you know, my pet dog. What I've been, what's been entrusted to your care is truth, absolute truth. And he says, guard it. Turn away from all that godless chatter and all those opposing ideas, what's falsely called knowledge or truth. Turn away from that stuff. Because it has the power. And, and he's, I'm, now I'm really paraphrasing, but I'll read this and then I'll paraphrase. <laughs> Which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the truth. Guard the truth. Because if you don't guard the truth, people leave the faith. They are caught up with all of these different things that everybody is claiming is truth. We live in an age of relativism, pluralism. We live in the age of fake news. We live in the age of conspiracy theories. There is no truth according to this world. And I've heard that said. There is no truth. Haven't you heard that? This is the age where there is no truth. This is the age in which we have to be orthodox. We have to believe and we have to know what is orthodox and what is true. And this is probably the most important thing that I'll say this morning in closing. People's lives depend upon it. You see, as brilliant, as engaging, as wonderful as Apollos was, he was not able and his message had no power to change lives. You get that? His message had no power to change lives. Because that which changes lives is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that says Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. And he rose to prove his victory over Sin, death, and Satan. And so, people can get caught up and enthralled with all manner of philosophies and religions, but they don't have the power to save a person's life. Eternal life, I'm talking about. And so we have to be orthodox, we have to be willing to make sure and we are under attack. <laughs> and our orthodoxy is under attack. But we have to be sure, we have to hold on to the truth. Because many people came to Christ after Apollos got his orthodoxy straight. Because he finally understood 
the full impact or the full implication of who Jesus Christ was.